Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Good evening, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Terror Radio Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, then welcome. This is a podcast dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcast, as well as original stories. I am your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, and tonight's episode is entitled, and I quote, We all go a little mad sometimes. Shout out to Norman Bates. (laughs) So, Without further ado, this is Terror Radio, the two radio series highlighted tonight are The Weird Circle and a new one to Terror Radio, Exploring the Unknown. Now this program ran from 1945 to 1948 and this series is described as a documentary, not It's more of a collection of fictional stories based on science. Can we say science fiction? And man, some of these stories are a doozy, as well as extraordinarily morbid, particularly the one tonight. Now, our first radio play is called Declared Insane. And this was first broadcasted on July 22nd 1943 on the weird circle following that is the radio play the dark curtain and this was first broadcasted on april 20th 1947 on exploring the the unknown and it stars screen actress veronica lake who we all know dealt with her own mental issues so you all know the drill sit back Turn down the lights and listen to Declared Insane, followed by The Dark Curtain. Out of the past, phantoms of a world gone by speak again the immortal tale Declared insane. This is the church she comes to. There she is, Renee, kneeling in the pew, third row from the left. What do you think of your rival for your husband's affections? Are you positive that's the same, Madame Jean Renault? I'd stake my honor upon it. Cecil, you've staked your honor so often there's nothing left to it. Madame. Amazing. 
I wonder how a woman like that could extract such huge sums of money from my husband. She might have certain charms you don't understand. But she's fat and pockmarked. True, Renee. But powerful enough to make you and your children penniless within ten years. How can we break her hold on Pierre? I've tried. Pierre won't listen to me, either as his brother or his lawyer. So there's only one thing left. What's that? Simply that you ask for a commission for lunacy against him. Imply that he's insane and have him locked away. But Pierre is insane With your political as... prestige at Louis XV's court. I'm sure we can convince a young ambitious judge to the contrary. Pierre's many eccentricities can bear fruit. His monomania on Chinese customs could easily be misinterpreted. Do you understand? But, Cecil, I... Now listen to me. Tomorrow morning, I want you to pay an unexpected visit on your husband. Drive out to that country hovel and... Is your master in, Roger? Madame le Marquise, we weren't expecting you. Do come in. Monsieur is in the study. If you follow me, he'd be pleased to see you, madame. It's been such a long time. Thank you, Roger. Monsieur, Madame le Marquise? Rene. I'm sorry to disturb you, Pierre, but you know what the court says. The separation of ours does not do my reputation any good. Your reputation? Naturally. What are you doing dressed up in that silly outfit? I am writing a history of China, Rene. One can't understand the Chinese mind without trying to feel the tempo of their mode of life. Oh, that's neither here nor there. I've been hearing about the way you're handling the children. The children are well and healthy. I don't feel comfortable about them out here. So I'd like to change nurses. The woman you have now is too old for the job. I've brought an Englishwoman out here with me today. Her name is Maggie Campbell. I think you'll find Maggie a gem in many ways. Your absent-mindedness endangers our children's very existence. What are you hinting at? Hinting? You know very well what I mean. That woman, Madame Jean Renault. She's no concern of yours. My son's future inheritance, however, is my concern. I can't prevent you from throwing it away on a swine-headed woman. Oh, Renée, but really? Really what? Who is this Jean Renault? What power has she got over you? Why do you insist on living in the country and giving her the major part of your income? That's one question you'll never have answered. You wouldn't understand. That's why I've hired Maggie Campbell to act as nursemaid. The children are never to be in that woman's company. And Miss Campbell will follow those instructions to the letter. Well, Renee, I didn't expect you to come back so soon. It didn't take me long to sell Pierre on the idea of hiring your fatuous Miss Campbell, Cecil. What did he think of her? Nothing much. My story was completely believable. We can depend on Maggie Campbell to weave an interesting web for Pierre to stumble into. In the meantime, you've work to do. Work? I've invited young Bianchon for a party at your house this evening. Aren't you presumptuous? Not at all. That fool has always been in love with you. His uncle is a judge of the inferior court, Monsieur Popeno. If you can convince Bianchon to bring his uncle into our camp, our commission for lunacy against Popier is one. You're in a position to do both of them a great deal of political good. It might be wise to remind them of it, gently. The party is to start it now. Bien, Jean. 
I'm so glad you could come to my little party. Oh, you're playing with my heart, madame. Ah. If only I were a free woman. Free to play with a man's heart. Oh. But my husband being ill... Oh, Pierre's ill? Didn't you know? No. Oh, I'm sorry to hear it. It's a mental condition. I thought you knew. Oh, is there anything that I can do? I'm afraid there's nothing anyone can do. He insists now upon throwing his money away on a woman, known as Jean Renault, whom he favors now. Oh, a woman. A fat, ugly, pockmarked woman who is closer to 60 years of age than anything else. He's given her almost a million francs. Oh, this is serious, madame. But what can I do? He controls all the money in the family except my own small income. Well, have you ever thought of securing a commission for lunacy against him? My own husband, Monsieur Bianchon? But it's necessary, madame. My uncle is judge of the inferior courts. He could get it for you quite easily. If you'd consent to visit with him, I'm Bianchon. sure... Bianchon. Yes? Could you persuade your uncle to visit me here in my home? I would repay him for his trouble. A close friend of mine, Philippe Brett, is head of the civil courts. He could do your uncle much good if I suggested it. Oh, but of course, René. I shall pay my Uncle Popinot a visit this evening. Would tomorrow night be a convenient night for you? So convenient. And if Monsieur Popinot is interested in verifying my case, he might ask Maggie Campbell, my children's nurse, about Pierre's strange actions. In this loony house, come over here and bottle. <laughs> yes, Maggie. What is it now, nurse? Listen to them, will you? A father playing with his sons, a twisting their arms as they scream in agony. Look at them there in the garden. He's teaching the boys how to wrestle, Maggie. Wrestling's a fine art in China. Wrestling, is it? It's a fine kind of wrestling. A trying to pull the boys' arms out by the sockets. A laughing and a screaming. A maniac's mind. A maniac, I tell you. Even help us. What will the madmen do next? Thank you, driver. Uncle Popino? Uncle Popino? Well, if it isn't my nephew. Well, well, Bianchon, come in. Oh, how can you live in this rat trap? Well, if this is a rat trap, Bianchon, then you should throw your old uncle a piece of cheese. What brings you down here on the banks on this hot day? Oh, a matter of urgency. A friend of mine is in trouble. Mm, trouble. Life was ever thus. Her husband is stark staring mad. And the poor woman hasn't the faintest notion how to go about getting a commission for lunacy. Mm, who is the lady? Madame la Marquise Despard. Madame de la Marquise? Yes. <laughs> she probably knows more about these things than you do, nephew. Uh, nevertheless, I'll see her when she arrives. She's not well, Uncle. You can't expect her to visit you in a place like... like this. Mm. Besides, she's a close friend of Philippe Brett, and he's the head of the civil courts and can do you a lot of good. That crook? Oh, Popey, no. 
Madame la Marquise had the kindness to invite us to dinner at her house tomorrow night. Bien sûr, I'm surprised that you... You know very well that I'll be the examining judge on the case, and our courts forbid a judge to dine in a petitioner's home. It's against the law. Oh, yes, I'd, I'd forgotten. After dinner, then, Uncle? Well, she can see me here. In all fairness to her. She's ill, Uncle. Drop in at her house. Was it a request or a demand from her, Bianchon? Both, I imagine, Uncle. Hmm. Even a judge is afraid not to grant her demands. A woman like that is a powerful factor at court. Then you will drop in and see her? Yes. Tomorrow afternoon at three. But warn her not to serve any food or drink to me at all. Oh, yes, Uncle. She will be well warned. Maggie, what are you doing prowling about the master's bedroom? Oh, I, um, oh, I was looking for a good tonic for the children. The master keeps all the medicines locked up here. While I'm about it, uh, you ought to take the tonic, Roger. You don't look so well lately. Oh, I, I never felt better. Oh, spring's uh, coming, Roger. Everybody should take a tonic. Yeah, drink this. You'll feel like a new man in a few seconds. I'll fix up a draw for the children. Uh, I can't figure you out, Maggie. One moment you shout, and the next you worry about my health. That's just my why, Roger. Go ahead. Drink it. I'm a nurse. I ought to know what's good. Go ahead. Drink it. Well, this will make us better friends, Maggie. I'll drink it. (sighs) Tastes like poison. Roger. Roger. The master's calling, Roger. See what he wants. Uh, I'm coming, Monsieur Le Marquis. Better come along to the study, Roger. I'm expecting a visitor, and I'd better have the place looking spick and span. Visitor, Monsieur? Madame Jean Renault will be here soon. Then the business between Madame and I will be over, finally. Oh, I'm, I'm glad. I'm... Monsieur, uh, look at the study. More Chinese books than all of China. <laughs> I need them. I, uh, I, uh... What's the matter, Roger? He, he feels so ill, Monsieur Le Marquis. In heaven's name, yeah, I, I don't... Yeah, better sit down do, over here, Roger. I, I don't... I'm... I help... Uh, Roger! Uh, Maggie! Maggie! What's the matter, Monsieur? Roger! Roger, old sorry. Roger! He's dead. Dead? His skin is turning black, Monsieur. Black? As if he had drunk... Yes. Just as if he drunk a strong draught of Chinese poison. How do you know the effect? I'm a nurse, sir. Now your madness is no longer innocent. You're a murderer, too. Poisoning a poor, helpless man just because he disagreed with you. What are you talking about, Maggie? Hey, you know what I'm talking about, monsieur. You're a murderer. A murderer. I'll get the police for your poisonous or in the middle of the night.
Madame la Marquise? May I present my uncle, judge of the inferior courts? Monsieur Popinel. Good afternoon, monsieur. How do you do? This is my brother-in-law, the Chevalier d'Espard. Say so. How do you do? How do you do? Won't you be seated, Monsieur Popinel? My uncle will do everything in his power to help you, René. I'm sure he will, Bianchon. Tell me, madame, when you and the Marquis separated originally, how much money were you allowed? Just my original income of 26,000 francs a year. Hmm. You say that the Marquis had given a certain Madame Jean Renault considerable sums of money? Almost a million francs. Hmm. Is there any reason for him to give her money? None. None but an imaginary one dictated to him by his twisted mind. Does Madame Jean Renault live well? Live well? In a mansion? I'm a poor man myself, Madame. How much does Madame Jean Renault spend on her house? Oh, the stables alone cost 16,000 francs. Mm, judges are apt to be incredulous. If the uh, stables alone cost 16,000, then how much for the entire establishment? Between 50 and 60,000 francs. So much? You don't say. Now, how much do you spend for this lovely place? About the same, 50 or 60,000. Renee! Huh? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said your income was only 26,000 francs. You must be badly in debt, obviously. But, monsieur... If you're in debt, the court might not feel justified in allowing you to handle your husband's money. They might think you have a different motive for trying to secure control of your husband's money. Not that I have. A selfish one. Do you serve, madame? Well, I'm sorry, Madame la Marquise. It's against the law for me to eat or drink at a petitioner's home. I thought you knew. Madame la Marquise! Madame la Marquise! Oh, Maggie, what are you doing here? I've been trying to get her all day, I have. Monsieur la Marquise has murdered his butler. What? Poisoned him. I saw it with my own eyes. Oh. The police came. They've got him away in the jail. He's stark, staring, writhing mad is. Murder now. Well, Monsieur Pocanel, is murder a part of a sane man's mind? Such a place for a judge to live. Oh, if I lived here, I'd never make old bones. Monsieur Popinot. Yes? I got your summons to come and see you in your house. Well, here I am. Yeah, here you are. But who are you? Madame Jean Renault. Hmm. Kind of a judge of you anyway, living here. Huh? You must be an honest one. Well, what do you want to see me about? I've learned that you've been receiving extraordinary amounts of money from Monsieur le Marquis d'Espard. Well, as a matter of fact, I have. Mm, what seducer's art have you oh. been using on Monsieur le Marquis? Oh, seducer's art? <laughs> Look at me, Monsieur. Fat, ugly, hideous. <laughs> what kind of a vamp would I make? <laughs> well, that's a question I can't answer. But you will have to. Monsieur, I'm sorry... But I am under oath. I can never divulge the reason that monsieur gives me the money. Madame, if you have any pity for your benefactor, you'll tell me. A commission for lunacy has been taken out against him. Huh? And you're named as having some strange power over him. Power oh. oh, which is supposed to have driven him mad. Oh, great heavens. I am as good as monsieur le marquis and warn him. He's a saint, that man. A saint, monsieur. Yes, but he isn't at home. He's in jail. Madame Jean Renault. Monsieur le Marquis, 
I'm Judge Popino of the Inferior Court. You're most welcome to come in and share my prison cell. Are you here to accuse me of murdering a man, too? No, monsieur. But your wife has taken out a commission for lunacy against you. Monsieur, you're joking. I wish I were. Your passion for Chinese customs has led them to believe you live in a dream world. I was commissioned to write a book about China by the most respectable firm in all Paris. Have you a contract from them? In my desk drawer at home. Hmm. Are there any duplicate copies in case your copy is stolen? Certainly. Here's the address of the firm. They have the duplicate. The second count is, of course, there's murder. You were accused of murdering your butler just to try out a potency of a new Chinese drug you've discovered. I've never toyed with Chinese drugs or poisons. How about this business of giving all your money to Madame Jean Renault? Monsieur, I never thought I'd tell anyone that secret. Your life depends on it. Madame Jean Renault is the descendant of the Jean Renault family who owned a large estate in Saxony in the 13th century. My ancestors murdered her ancestors and stole that property. What has that to do with you? The entire Despar fortune was founded on that property. I'm trying to pay back a debt. The amount of money which should have been paid to the Jean Renault when the property was taken over. You're too conscientious, Monsieur Le Marquis. I don't want my children to be ashamed of their family as I'm ashamed of mine. They'll always be proud of the Despard name. I don't think we'll have any trouble clearing you of this charge. Tell me this. Is there any place in France where the black Chinese poison can be ordered? One place might have it. It's a small pharmacy called Lincoln. You don't usually carry that particular mixing drug in our pharmacy, Monsieur Popineau. It's too dangerous. But I did have a special order for it from a cockney woman named Maggie Campbell just the other day. She had a note authorizing her to buy it. Who was the note from? From the head of the medical research department through the Chevalier Despard. Mm, thank you very much. Monsieur Le Marquis Despard's contract arrived from Paris? Yes, Monsieur Popineau, this morning. Where's Madame Jean Renault? She's waiting for you now, Monsieur Popineau. Just have her sign this legal bill of sale for the Saxon property and ask her to appear in court tomorrow morning. Yes, Monsieur. And the clerk? Yes. Send this letter to Le Marquis Despard. After this note, I don't think she'll appear to press charges. Come along, Rene. We'd better go inside the courtroom. It's almost time for the sessions to start. You go ahead, Cecil. I'd like to see Monsieur Philippe Brett before court starts. See you later, then. Oh, my dear Rene. Uh, you look charming. I hope I haven't kept you waiting. Not at all. Here's the letter Monsieur Popino sent me last night and the affidavits you asked for. Mm -hmm. This letter from Popino places you in a very ugly position. It threatens the entire civil court, besides naming the head of the medical association, Monsieur Brett. Yes, I know, Rene. Leave everything to me. I'll see you in court in a few minutes. Order in the court. The Fifth Court of Inferior Appeals is in session. The first case is a commission for lunacy. The case of Madame de la Marquise Despard against Monsieur la Marquise Monsieur Despard. Monsieur Poupin. Yes, Monsieur Brett. As head of the civil courts, I cannot allow you to preside on the bench during this case. Cannot allow me? You realize, man, you violated the most important law in all France. I have three sworn affidavits that you partook of tea and cake at the household of René Despard at 5 p.m. four days ago. 
Now, since Madame is the plaintiff in this case, that renders any decision you might give is invalid. But, Monsieur Brett, they are lying. Your own nephew swears it's the truth. Will you relinquish the bench? Who is to take over in my place? Monsieur Devereux. Devereux? Yes. A man who spends his time currying favor for my majesties? Monsieur, will you give up the bench? I have no option. But if I can't work as judge on this case, I will represent Monsieur de la Marquis d'Espard as his barrister. Will you ascend the bench, Monsieur Duvreux? Naturally, Monsieur, but the barrister in charge of proceedings will start. But as you, Chevalier d'Espard, is it not, Cecil? Yes. Thank you, Monsieur Duvreux. In behalf of my client, Madame la Marquise, a poor innocent woman who has been robbed of her children, her income and her home, by a lunatic husband who is guilty of murder. You only presume he's guilty of murder. I presume nothing, Bobineau. He's already been tried and convicted. When? Ten minutes before court started. I signed the papers, Monsieur Bobineau. You did, Brett? Yes. You haven't the foggiest notion of what this case concerns. I have definite proof that Maggie Campbell was hired to murder the butler. Here it is. My proof that Monsieur Le Marquis is innocent. Judge Devereaux, you can set aside this conviction. Chevalier, let us proceed. A woman named Madame Jarrineau has forced Monsieur Le Marquis to give her over a million francs. We all know that Monsieur Pobineau made up that story about the Saxon property to fool the court. But these are lies, Monsieur Devereaux. Continue, Chevalier. And last but not least, we base our claim on the fact that Monsieur Le Marquis thinks he lives in China. Ha! Is that a thought for a sane man? Monsieur Le Marquis is writing a book on China. He has a contract for that book. We investigated the contract, Monsieur Popineau. The Paris firm swears they never drew it up. Mm. You've done well, gentlemen, to make a mockery of the courts of France. This trial is a farce, a framed farce. Of course, you grant the commission for lunacy, you will be heaped with honors by these weakling fools. That is only your opinion, Popenow. Judge Devereaux, remember, your conscience will weigh heavily on your soul. If you send this man away, you will have only yourself to answer to. You wake up in the middle of the night screaming for forgiveness to your maker. Think on it carefully, Judge Devereaux. Think before you make the decision. There is no need for thought. I demand an immediate decision. There's only one decision I can possibly make. An honest one. A decision dictated to me by my conscience and the evidence on hand. The commission for lunacy is granted. Mr. Devereaux, I'm as sane as you are. You can't lock me up. Pope and I'll tell them. In heaven's name, stop them. Don't let them. God! Take that man out of court and put him in a straitjacket before he loses his mind completely. From the time-worn pages of the past, we have heard the story declared insane. Hold the bell.
With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Her outlook, her entire life. Science at work, searching for knowledge that will shape your world of the future. Dramatic stories of science and industry exploring the unknown. Today on the Science Magazine, we are fortunate to have one of Hollywood's loveliest actresses, Miss Veronica Lake, to star in a dramatic tale of the March of Science. Listen now to Act One of The Dark Curtain. I don't suppose at the beginning I was very different from anyone else. I lived with my sister Mary. She was older. She looked after me because our parents had died a long time ago. But we still lived in the house father had left us. Mary and I. It was home. I don't know exactly when it all began for me. The trouble, I mean. I used to imagine things a lot when I was little. Then I found it was fun to go on imagining things. But I couldn't tell anyone. Then one day, I imagined people were staring at me. I was always timid. I came home frightened. I was engaged to be married about then. I had known Paul a long time. Mary was happy about it. Then one day, something happened. Mary had been shopping. I was home playing with a kitten. It was a sweet kitten, but it had yellow staring eyes... You're trying to frighten me, Snoopy. But you can't. You're just a tiny little cat. I'm afraid of lots of things, but not of you. Hello, Ellen. Goodness, Mary, you gave me a start. I caught an early bus. What kind of a day did you have? I didn't go out. Didn't go out on this lovely day? You know I don't like shopping. But, honey, you have a trousseau to get. Dozens of things. I wish you'd come with me. Mary, I don't think clothes make any difference. Do you realize in a few weeks I'll be leaving this house? For good? Well, after 23 years, you ought to be glad. Why should I be glad? This is where I've always lived. I hate strange places and strange people. Well, that's Paul now. Paul? But he's not coming now. I mean, Mary, would you... Would I what? Would you go down and talk to him for me? Ellen, after you're married, you'd better learn to be on time. Please, please, just this once more. It would be so much easier. Mary, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Ellen's late again, Paul. I think that child has daydreams. Well, it's just as well. I, I want to talk to you. <laughs> well, that's always a pleasure. Mary, I got this letter this morning... I want you to read it. All right. Dear Paul, would you mind very much if we postponed our wedding for a little while? It's hard to explain, but 
Oh, Paul. Came right out of the blue, Mary. I don't understand. If it was just the letter, I'd... I think she changed her mind, but... But it isn't. What do you mean? I'm worried, Mary. It's a lot of little things. She... She seems preoccupied, nervous. Mary, has Ellen been feeling all right lately? You're talking about me, aren't you? Ellen, dear. As if I didn't know. Reading my letters, too. You always talk about me. Darling. I know you do. But I don't care. I didn't come down to listen. I came down for my kitten, Snoopy. Snoopy? He's... He's lying out in the back stairway. What do you mean? He fell from my window. Fell? You mustn't touch him. You mustn't. He's dead, all right. Mary, go in, take Ellen upstairs, give her a sedative. A sedative? Do what I tell you at once. Where are you going? I'm going for a doctor. That kitten might have broken its neck I or... didn't do it. Do you hear me? I didn't do it. A kitten dead. A girl, young, lovely, tormented by mysterious fears. What is disturbing Ellen? What unknown depths can the human mind conceal? Science comes face to face with the unknown. And now it's curtain time for Act Two of The Dark Curtain with Veronica Lake. Shortly before Ellen and Paul were to be married, Ellen became strangely moody and reticent. Her only happiness seemed to be in a kitten Paul had given her. While Paul was at the house, Ellen told him her kitten had fallen out the window. Paul discovered her kitten was not killed from a fall, but from strangulation. keeps looking at me. So does Mary, just like Snoopy did, staring. Don't they know I just want to be alone? I won't go out. I won't leave my room. Doctor, I... I don't know what's happened. Paul, I don't think anything has happened. Something is just developing that may have been there a long time. But Ellen and I were to be married next month. Paul, I've had several talks with her. You're going to have to make a decision. What's that? Forget this wedding for a while. Uh, oh, that's... That's pretty hard to take. Son, we've got a job on our hands. Your Ellen is a very sick girl. Can you help her? I hope so. What are you going to do? Talk to her. Try to give her some insight into her condition. We call it psychotherapy. Psychotherapy. Science's first weapon against mental disorders. Question. Ellen, who is your best friend at school? I didn't have a best friend. Other girls did. But I knew a princess. I pretended I did. Ellen, would you like to go to parties? Yes, I love parties. But people don't stare at me. Ellen, do you like Mary? Yes. No. Mary doesn't like me. Ellen... How is Paul today? 
Paul? I don't know. I don't know, Paul. Mary knows him. Not me, Mary. Probing. Probing. Questions day after day to make Ellen realize that her pretending, her fantasy, is really illness. Science tries with questions to lift the dark curtain between Ellen's mind and the world of reality. Ellen? No. No, I won't answer any more questions. I know what you're trying to do. It's part of a plot. Mary and Paul and now you. Make me think there's something the matter with me. You hate me. All of you, you hate me. any news for us, Dr. Ward? I'm glad you're both here. Sit down. Is she better? She isn't better. She's worse. Oh, no. I don't know where it started, but Ellen has apparently lived in a world of fantasy for a long time. As a defense against the real world with which she can't cope. It's become such a habit that her mind refuses the real world, so her whole personality is divided. Doctor, did Ellen really kill the kitten? Yes, but she doesn't know it now. Why did she? It associated itself in her mind with a marriage she didn't want. With you, Paul. Good Lord. Uh, Dr. Ward, I... I love Ellen. And I know she loved me. But marriage doesn't matter now. All that matters is getting Ellen well. What can we do? Get inside her mind. Bring it to light. She's blocked every effort so far. We can't talk to her until we remove that block and break down resistance. How, Dr. Ward? With electric shock. Electric shock. Science's new weapon to get inside the human mind. An electric current that literally shocks the body into convulsion and breaks down disordered patterns of the mind. Ellen lies on a bed in a small room. An injection of the drug curare is given to her. She relaxes. Her arms and legs are limp. This is so the convulsion will not endanger her. And now the leather strap containing the electrodes is fastened to her head. Already, doctor? Low voltage first. This is her first treatment. How many is she here for? It depends. Six or eight at least. Ninth week. Current. Tenth week. Ellen, how do you feel? I'm better, doctor. I feel happy, not giddy. I don't want to, well, to fly or anything the way I used to. <laughs> but I do feel happy. How's your headache? I don't have any headache. Well, they're going to let you go home today. Oh, doctor, thank you. Thank you, that's all I want, to go home. I was going home. The nightmare was over. The terrible jolts. The long black hours. The doctor and Paul and Mary talked a long time, but I didn't care. Let them say anything. I was going home. Before I knew it, I was home and out walking. The grass was green. It was almost summer. The sun felt so good. Just to walk and to be free. But I wasn't quite free. I wasn't alone. I thought you'd forgotten I was here. We have to go back soon, Ellen. It was nice of you to come and see me today, Paul. Oh, it was nice of you to love me. That's a new suit, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I like you in tweed. <laughs> That's good. I wish I had something better than this old dress. Uh, you never looked lovelier, Ellen. So young, so 
pretty. <laughs> Am I really? Mm-hmm. And so you'll remember, I, uh, I want you to take these roses back with you. Roses? Mm-hmm, pink ones. Your favorites. Smell them. Smell them. You're trying to poison me. You're trying to poison me with those flowers. Take them away. Failure. For weeks, science had battled the unknown disorders of Ellen's brain. Psychotherapy, electric shock. Now there is only a blank wall. A girl's mind turned completely from the world around her. Turned inward so that even recognition is gone. Dr. Ward, everything was fine. Ellen was so happy to be home. What happened? It means only one thing. I was afraid of it, but I took a chance. It didn't work. This is a progressive psychosis of the most deep-seated kind. Does that mean hopeless? Mary, science doesn't admit the word hopeless. But nothing has worked. Psychotherapy, electric shock, insulin coma. Five months now of treatment. Well, is there anything left? Just one thing. So risky that it's tried only on the most acute cases. Then the chances are two to one against it. What is it? It's called lobotomy. Lobotomy? I've heard of that. It's a brain operation. It's actually cutting part of the frontal lobe of the brain away from the rest. Wouldn't that kill her? Three percent of the patients do die, Mary, but 30 percent are better. Completely cured? I said better. It's a delicate and difficult operation. Used only in desperate cases. Doctor, if it did work... She'd be much happier, better adjusted person. And uh, if it isn't done? She'll get steadily worse. Doctor. It isn't an easy decision. I know. You have to give me time to think. I, I don't know. soon to be married. Ellen showed signs of mental disorder that grew increasingly worse. Psychotherapy and electric shock were used, but the dark curtain that had closed on Ellen's mind could not be lifted. Now the doctor has recommended the most drastic and dangerous method of all, a new brain operation to destroy disordered patterns. Lobotomy. It is the last resort, and Ellen's sister must decide. How is she today, Mary? She talks a little, not much. She's afraid I'm going to send her away. Mary, you've got to make a decision. I can't, Paul. In operations of this kind, only one out of three show any improvement. If she doesn't get better, she'll, she'll be hopeless the rest of her life. What is she now? She's not hopeless. Sometimes she knows me. She, she talks to me. She's gentle and quiet, and I know she'll be better. They've done everything. You're talking about me again. Ellen, what are you doing down here? Listening. You're plotting the way you always do when he comes. Ellen, Ellen, listen to me. Plotting to kill me, aren't you? Ellen, go upstairs. But you won't, see? You won't because... Oh, look out. Ellen! Good night. Did she hurt you? Not much. Let me go. Oh, let me go. Well, Mary, will you call Dr. Ward? Yes. Yes, I will. Operating room B, Dr. Ward operating, assisted by Dr. Nelson, intern Niles, nurses Wood, Blake, Johnson. 
Lobotomy. This is an operation on the human brain. A mass of yellowish, soft tissue. What you do, how you walk, where you go, what you eat, what you say, how you feel, all of it depends on that soft tissue. Nature has encased it in a hard, bony armor, the skull, to protect it. The brain is actually a small, compact switchboard where millions of tiny wires cross and recross to carry messages back and forth. These wires are nerves. But in Ellen's brain, something has gone wrong. There's a short circuit. Ellen's most primitive impulse tells her... I love Paul. Now that thought has carried over the nerve wires to the higher centers of the brain, the part of the brain that has developed judgment and reasoning. This is the frontal lobe of the brain right behind the forehead. In a normal condition, this part of the brain would say... It's right that I marry Paul. We love each other. We want a home. We're going to be happy. But something is wrong. The thought doesn't travel as it should. Somewhere in the frontal lobe where Ellen reasons and judges, there is a short circuit. The original thought of Ellen's love for Paul becomes distorted. Paul hates me. The wires are hopelessly tangled now. Ellen has no judgment now. Paul wants to kill me. Somewhere beneath the heavy protective armor of the skull, science must find out what's gone wrong. No x-ray can tell, no medicine, for this is the realm of the invisible. Science believes that an operation can break these disordered circuits of the brain and leave it free to develop new habits of thought and feeling. We're ready. Please bring the patient in. Ellen lies in the center of the green operating room under the bright, clear light. Only her shaven head appears from under the long white covering. The masked surgeons and nurses are waiting. There's an air of tension in the room. For in this operation, man is probing into the human mind. Sanity, even life itself, hangs in the balance. We use a local anesthetic, Novocaine. Carefully, the anesthetist injects the Novocaine needle into Ellen's scalp. Once. Twice. Three times more. A small ring of injections is made. Ellen, do you know who I am? You're Dr. Ward. You're going to kill me. They're going to make you feel better. Do you feel anything? No. Nothing. Good. Now the doctor makes two incisions down each side of the scalp. Forceps. Forceps. Now the skin is drawn back. The bone of the skull is laid bare. Trephine. Trephine. Science must cut through the heavy skull bone easily, quickly. To do it, the doctor has a small electric circular saw... With it, he cuts a disc-shaped section of the skull, a bone button the size of a quarter. He works carefully, a shade too far, and the saw would grind into brain tissue itself. He must cut just through the bone. Ellen, do you feel anything? I don't feel anything, but I can hear you. The skull is open. Carefully, the doctor lifts the bone button. Now he must work with precision and delicacy that is almost unbelievable. Cottery. Cottery. With the cautery, a fine electrical knife, the doctor seals the surface blood vessels. There are no markings in this unknown world, no x-ray to guide him, no disease or growth to look for, nothing but the blank yellowish tissue with its hundreds of twists and convolutions. Like a dancer, delicately poised, the doctor's skilled fingers push the knife gently, carefully... 
On one side of his knife's track lies the motor areas of the brain, which, if touched, would paralyze forever the patient on the table. Helen, do you feel anything now? I'm sleeping. What are you doing? Taking your headache away. The knife moves in slowly, slowly, its blunt edge pushing aside the vital blood vessels, which, if punctured, would result in a fatal brain hemorrhage. Helen, do you feel pain? No. No pain. Only as if something untied. It... It feels better. Much better. But she has fallen asleep. Dr. Ward withdraws his knife slowly. One half of his task is done. Now he repeats the same operation on the other half of the brain. Carefully, he replaces the bone buttons. The incisions in the scalp are sewed. Science has dared to probe a living brain to cure an unbalanced mind. recovery is long and slow. Ellen, because of her naturally bright mind and good constitution, is one of the lucky few in a favorable position to benefit from the operation. How much, only time will tell. She'll be childlike again. I'm going to call this doll Isabel. Her memory will not respond at first. Where did the spoons go? I can never remember. She'll not have the ability to make decisions. What dress shall I wear today? But her fears will gradually disappear. A tea party? I'd love to go and see everybody. You must remember that although Ellen takes a place in normal home life, she has changed. You'll have to treat Ellen as if she's learning many things for the first time in her life. Well, you girls ready to go out to dinner? Yes, Mary will be right down. Now, you look awfully pretty, Ellen. Thank you. Paul, I want to say something now before Mary comes. I'm glad you're coming to see Mary and me. But it's all different now. I can't explain it. I was afraid before. Afraid of everything. No, I'm not. I'm happy. It's like being in the light again. I just want to live here at home. Do you understand, Paul? Yes, Yes, I think I do, Ellen. That was all a long time ago. It seems strange now to think I was ever going to marry Paul. Or that I was afraid of people. It's an old nightmare that I've almost forgotten. Paul's coming to dinner tonight. I know because Mary's singing. I'm cooking dinner. I have so many things to learn. But there's lots of time to learn them. When you're not afraid anymore. What is ahead for Ellen? At least a return to normal living. Perhaps eventually a job. A productive place in society. And within herself, happiness and freedom from tension. By means of psychosurgery, science's newest weapon against mental disorder... A girl has been saved from the darkness of hopeless insanity as science explores the unknown.
Our thanks to lovely Veronica Lake for a fine performance. Well, that's our show for tonight. I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror 1970. Or you can find me on Instagram at radio show nerd. And if you want to send me a message, drop a line, a suggestion, a request, a uh, even a critique. Respectfully, please feel free to email me at radioshownerd at gmail.com. And I also have a YouTube channel, obviously entitled Terror Radio. Please check it out. Subscribe. Like and share the videos. Will be highly appreciated. Again, this is your host, Keith, better known as the Radio Show Nerd, signing off. <laughs>